Hi everybody, JP here. Want to take a moment to tell you about St. John Associates. They're a great recruiting firm that was recommended to us by one of our listeners. They've been around for over 30 years and they match thousands of physicians with practices and healthcare systems across the country. They have an experienced team that works in all specialties, including neurosurgery and orthopedic spine surgery, and they have close connections with employers across the country. They will look at your CV, They'll match you with practices based on your preferences for geography and lifestyle. And all of this comes at no cost to the physician job applicant. So just visit them at stjohnjobs.com slash nspod to get started with your job search today if you're in the market. Again, that's stjohnjobs dot com slash nspod. Following that link will let them know that you found them through us. This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Here we are graced yet again with a good friend of the show, a repeat customer, if you will, uh, the channel himself, Andrew Chan. Uh, we were uh, lucky to have him on previously for our, our very brief mini-series on So You Want to Be a Neurosurgeon, where he gave advice to high school students, college students, medical students about how to prepare yourself to break into this field. And now, as Andrew is reaching the end of his fellowship and about to embark on his own fully-fledged career as an attending, I thought it might behoove our listeners to bring him back to talk about so you want to be a neurosurgeon for neurosurgeons. When we're reaching the end of our training, how do we make that transition from the resident mindset, the resident position, to attending hood? And this is something we've talked about before with many prestigious and illustrious leaders in our fields, but I don't think we've really touched on this subject from the inside, from the resident perspective itself. So, Andrew, welcome back to the show. Maybe in case some of our listeners didn't catch your previous episodes yet, uh, say hi and introduce yourself. Oh, thanks, John Paul. It's uh, fantastic to be back on the podcast again. Uh, I always enjoy listening to this, and it's a great thing you guys are putting on, and it's always a pleasure to, to be here. Um, so just to give a little background to the listeners here, uh, I went to undergraduate at UCLA, uh, then I went to medical school at Columbia, and then I went to residency at UCSF, and then I'm fin finishing up my Duke Fellowship right now with Dr. Shaffrey and the team over there. Uh, and then next year I'll be starting my faculty job at New York Presbyterian uh, uh, Columbia. So in summary, you can take his advice to heart. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> so, so break it down for us, Andrew. Obviously, you know, listing the positions you've had, the places you've worked and trained, it's clear that you were on this path from the beginning and that you had these aspirations for neurosurgery, academic neurosurgery, academic spine. So you, you saw your goal and clearly you have successfully navigated the path toward that goal. So similar to how we talked before about how to get into neurosurgery, maybe set the stage for at what point in your career, in your residency, did you start thinking about how to exit training? Sure, certainly. Well, I think the fundamental foundations of all this did start again when I was in medical school at Columbia. You know, they had such a uh, supportive environment in that department of neurosurgery for all the medical students in which they had formal didactics. Uh, we had a research here uh, that was funded by the department to do mm. research. And so really setting the foundations for one, some of the clinical knowledge that you need to be successful, you know, certainly in residency, but afterwards as well, but also sets you up for success in the academic neurosurgery domains of research and also giving you that initial uh, introduction to 
organization and the ways you can be involved in the greater you know neurosurgery uh, so with that foundation then you know went into residency at UCSF and you know early on in the junior residency or you know right in the beginning of residency you're just you know you're staying afloat you're you're making sure that your patients that you're taking care of get good care you're learning about all the different pathologies you're learning about the surgery so it's one mindset as you're alluding to you know a, a training and I'm getting these skills and certainly when you start transitioning over to more of the senior residency roles when you're finally you know making some more of the decisions clinically uh, and also in the operating room and you're realizing wow you know I can do these cases independently I can do clinical encounters independently I know some of the basic principles of practice uh, which for us you know at UCSF I would say is already your 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 chief at some of the sites that we have including our county hospital and also the VA uh, and so at that point you're in the chief mindset and I think with that mindset then comes wow, one day I will be faculty, I will be actually yeah. the attending of record, and that gives you that ability to transfer over uh, to that mindset, which is important then to build your success down the line. Yeah, so it's really interesting that you talk about the point in training at which you start to take that perspective. Um, I, I've been talking with a few people recently about just that transition where you, you come in early as a, as a junior, as an intern, and you're given a list of tasks to do. And your whole existence for that day is do these things. And someone tells you what to do. And then as you get older and older, as you pointed out, suddenly you're not just doing things that you're told to do. You're figuring out what needs to be done and running those plans, running those decisions by someone else. And then eventually there's no one to run it by, right? You're, you're just the boss. And so with the career path that you're taking, part of that was a fellowship. And part of that is now finding yourself a job within academia. The answer is different for everyone, but maybe if you could try to tap into the gestalt for why do some neurosurgeons pursue the path you've chosen and why do some surgeons not? And, and I guess specifically, what were some of the most important steps along your way within residency to get that fellowship position, to get that academic job? What are the big do's and don'ts to enact the career vision that you had? And so, yeah, I think you bring up a really good point in that, you know, ultimately this is going to be self-directed. At yeah. some point you only have so many hours in a day and then you have to decide of those 24 hours what you're going to devote your life to. And if that includes, you know, having more maybe what some would call balance with, you know, a clinical life, but then also with more family life, maybe a hobby, maybe if you like fishing or golf, something like that, then that's one way you can go. But if you like some of the things, like more than just the clinical experience of being a neurosurgeon, but doing the research, you know, being an active participant in resident education, being active in organization as well, that takes a lot of time and commitment. And so you have to make that decision at that point. And so for me, I knew these were all things I loved. Um, very early on, I, I saw what how great it was to be able to contribute back to the greater organization. Uh, and it was as many forms, you know, uh, in research. Um, I'm, I love being part of the Quality Outcomes Database research group that we have. Um, and this is a great spine initiative uh, where we're able to, to conduct basic comparative effectiveness research and beyond uh, for some basic degenerative conditions uh, in a way that we've not to date been able to do. And it's probably the biggest organization's effort in spine registry research today yeah. and so that's been a big joy of mine and I knew something that you know something I want to continue down the line uh, same with you know working an organization uh, working 
uh, in certain uh, groups in the Congress at the resident committee, um, also sitting on certain committees in the AANS as well. You know, this has been a very fruitful and joyful endeavor for me, and it's something that I know I want to continue on uh, for years to come. So how I, you know, how I frame this to myself or when I'm talking to mentees about, you know, when, what do you need to do to set yourself up? How, how do you set yourself up to get that fellowship? How do you set yourself up for that faculty job? And for me, you know, very myopically, like let's say an academic spine neurosurgical position, right. um, pretty specific. So, you know, it might be something that wouldn't be as applicable maybe to some other subspecialties or if you're not going into academic spine, let's say. Sure. Uh, but for me, I always thought of the three big pillars uh, for me, which was clinical domain, research domain, and the organizational domain. And these were all things that were critical to what I wanted to achieve in my life and what I wanted to give uh, as part of my profession. Uh, and so these are all things that you know you need to nurture throughout, you know, starting day one. Um, starting even in the intern year and junior yeah. residency when we are trying to, you know, just keep our head above water at the time. And so what you need to do is succeed in each of those domains. So you can't to really take shortcuts in any of them. You know, you need to be a master clinician and a master surgeon. That's first and foremost and one of the most important things for me. But then at the same time, while you're doing all that, you need to start getting your research chops. You know, starting a medical school, uh, taking extra classes in the Master's of Public Health school, um, uh, excuse me, in the public health school um, is the way I got some of the statistical principles I still use to this day, the way I'm able to do analyses, but then also giving me the skill set of, you know, when I know I also need to collaborate in certain domains and, yeah. and how to do that in research. And that was something that, you know, certainly UCSF facilitates very well during residency. Um, I had very good mentors, including Praveen Mumineni, who really helped me um, f foster this and also, you know, develop this throughout the training. And so that I was working on that domain the whole time. And then in organization as well, you know, uh, being able to, to sit on, on, on different committees and contribute different things throughout um, residency, I think really helped me, you know, one, uh, you know, show what's possible when we have a good group of people working together. So I sat on the subcommittee um, of the resident committee, which is the CNS Fellowship Directory Committee. And what this was is at the time, the CNS uh, didn't have a comprehensive fellowship directory. Hmm. And we thought this was very important for the greater uh, organization for residents coming through, for even medical students, you know, uh, doing their research down the line, um, to, to have this comprehensive directory for all the subspecialties that's updated, uh, has in-depth uh, interactive items like videos and, and some more details and is present out there uh, so far in, in different various platforms. And so we were able to actually get this live up and running now. Uh, and so, you know, these were all things I'm working on during residency in cultivating those three domains again clinical research and organization uh, to then give me the, the 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 experience of knowing what needs to happen next uh, getting the nice networks to be able to continue that work into the future to then know that also you know this is the uh, you know getting to further develop the clinical domain and fellowship with dr. Shaffrey um, you know a great deformity training in in, in residency at UCSF phenomenal spine department with Praveen Mumineni Dean Chow Christopher Ames uh, Lee Tan, Aaron Clark, getting, you know, all those spine cases, but, you know, again, further developing with another view of that in Duke's fellowship, you know, with Dr. Shaffrey, uh, Koi Tan, Mohamed Abdelbar. Um, it's been a great, you know, thing, and you're kind of always building towards that, you know, mountaintop throughout this whole time, and, and as long as you keep building towards your end goal and you have a clear picture of what that end goal is, you'll get there eventually. 
yeah. it's going to seem like baby steps, you know, day in, day out when you're a PGY four, five, six, seven, but you know, you'll finally get there. And for me, it's, it is a bit surreal sometimes to then think, wow, I'm going to be starting my faculty position as an attending neurosurgeon where I started as a medical student, right. you know, all these years later, but you know, I never lost sight of that mountaintop vision. Yeah. The, the peak of the mountain is in fact your base camp. Um, to to close the circle. It's it's so fascinating to me to hear you talk about one of your pillars being organization, by which you mean organized neurosurgery, but clearly uh, the pillar under all of this is your personal organization, right? You've defined your goal and you've defined sub-goal and sub-goal and these various levels all the way down working toward and building toward that final goal. And I, I can't imagine... Uh, such a level of organization for your life and your career because I'm scattered, right? I'm, I'm chaotic and probably most people are uh, closer toward my end of the spectrum than yours and we're just scrambling through life trying to figure out where am I going to fit in and how do I get there? But I, I think one of the most critical and inspiring things that, uh, that you were just talking about is your, your role with the QOD. That's where I first met you when I was a, a medical student uh, helping Dr. Wang uh, organize the quality outcomes database uh, work at the University of Miami. He would bring me to meetings and I would get to meet all of these huge names that I had just seen on papers and textbooks. And oh my gosh, that's a real person and, and he's really nice. And that's where I met you at one of the, uh, the first QOD meetings I went to. And what really struck me is that everybody in that room, from you to the Dr. Wang to Dr. Jack Knightley, who was hosting that meeting, it was in Jersey. Everyone in the room cared so much. And they were just normal, nice, welcoming people who cared so much about the work we were doing that they were willing to set aside time from their clinical hours, set aside time from their family hours to do this non-revenue generating work just to figure out the best thing to do for their patients, right? And so I remember sitting in that room and thinking to myself, wow, I would kill to be one of the people in this room. And I went back to Miami with Dr. Wang and I said, okay, where's the the man behind the curtain? What's the secret behind the neurosurgery mafia? Like, how do you get into that room? How do you get to be one one of those people? And he said, there's no secret, there's no mafia, you just work hard and if you're willing to do all that extra work and you do it well, those are the people in the room. And so hearing you talk about your work with the QOD and all of your three pillars, the clinical, the academic, the, the organized neurosurgery, it's just another piece of evidence supporting that, that the way you get to these jobs at such a great institution like Columbia is not by knowing the right person, not by shaking the right hands and kissing the ring like so many people think these things traditionally work, but it's really just who's willing to put in the time to achieve all of those steps up the mountaintop, so to speak. So assuming that someone listening has these aspirations, assuming that they have the inner drive, the inner care and the willingness to put in their hours and and they share a similar vision for what they want their life to be, we've covered the why. But maybe we could think a little bit about the how and the nitty gritty. And these are the simple low level questions that um, perhaps things like the fellowship database will help to answer. But for now, it's like you ask people, you get different opinions, but no one really knows. So within the realm of your experience, within the realm of other people you've talked to who are recently su- succeeding in this process as you've done, let's talk a little bit of details. So I'm a resident. I want to wind up in an academic job. Let's say that I, I am going to pursue a fellowship. When do I start looking? When do I start applying? 
That's great. And you know, this is this is the key. Right. You know, a lot of a lot of this is sausage gets made thing. People don't know. Um, and the field, you know, is unfortunately quite small relative to, you know, many other fields. Yeah. And, and, so and disclaimer, again, I talk about this a lot, but the perks of having a podcast, I'm a PGY3 resident and I'm interested in spine. So, you know, no personal interest here at all, but when should any old resident be looking at fellowships? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I, I will preface this by saying, you know, I'll definitely get to the when. Yes. But I think the, the first question you ought to ask yourself is why? Right. And with fellowship, there's definitely different reasons that everybody does a fellowship. You know, we're fortunate in the field of neurosurgery, especially in spine, that, you know, at least for a whole host of basic procedures, you'll get vast experience in residency. Yeah. And so unlike other subspecialties, you know, for, for heart surgery or, or something, you know, in other parts of the body, um, you know, where you're actually learning a completely new procedure and skill set. Mm. You know, for some people, you know, you might already have a high volume program, let's say like at UCSF, uh, where you get a very good clinical training already. So, you know, if the question is, I want to, you know, do more procedures, then you have to ask yourself, what kind of procedures? Do you want to do the same thing you were doing residency? Do you want to add to your skill set? Do you want to get, uh, uh, you know, some cutting edge technology such as with the endoscope or with robotic training or a lot of the minimally invasive procedures that are, are coming in vogue, then that, that is your why. But other people have different whys too. Um, I think, you know, for some of the domains I was talking about in terms of the research and organization, um, it's, it's, fellowship can be a good opportunity to be able to tap in some of these networks mm. that different programs would have that maybe your residency program didn't have, you know, to, to be able to, for me, continue work in the QOD and continue work in the International Spine Study Group was, was very important to me, and that was something that I was looking for in a fellowship. So if that's something you're interested in, um, then, you know, that's something you should consider as well in terms of, you know, why you're doing fellowship, but also, you know, then which fellowship do you want to do? Yeah. And some of that also remains to be true for the organization aspect. You know, there's certainly some fellowships you can do that are maybe more clinically focused, uh, uh, maybe don't have some of the, the, those desires in terms of developing um, people contributing to the organization, maybe, um, you, know, uh, you know, being leaders in the field, uh, you know, more so than maybe leaders in the hospital or leaders in, in their operating room, which is, you know, fine, totally, you know, to everybody, you need to, you know, do what you want to do. Um, but there's definitely some programs that, you know, have these kind of networks and these programs set up for you to help support these, um, you going to meetings and, you know, being able to contribute in this fashion. So ask yourself why. And then at that point, you can ask yourself when, because yeah. when is dictated um, by which fellowship really you want to be doing in this country. Right. Um, there's so many different kinds, again, um, maybe more, you know, clinically focused, let's say you're coming from a residency program where you didn't feel like your spine training is very good for even some of the, maybe the more basic spine procedures, um, then, you know, you'll be looking at maybe X, Y, or Z type program. Um, and then, you know, it just, that's a different timeline than maybe if you're looking for some of the fellowship programs, it may be the total package of helping you with, you know, this certain piece of the pie for the clinical picture, the research, the organization. And, and a lot of times these may be some of the more competitive uh, fellowships to get into. Um, and then, you know, that's a different time frame as well of when, you know, to apply. So some of the, you know, fellowships I've been hearing about, you know, in, in the country, um, like Praveen Mumineni's fellowship at UCSF, 
you know, he's uh, regularly getting fellows, you know, PGY3s. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, this is something that, you know, if you, if you want to work with Praveen Mumineni, who's a phenomenal guy, um, then that's something you'll need to, you know, start applying and thinking about, you know, that early, yeah. you know. And for a lot of residents, you know, you don't even know what you want to do yet at that time point. So unless you have that crystal clear picture of that that's what you want to do, then you might already kind of, you know, be timed out by the time maybe you decide PGY-5, PGY-6 that you want to go, you know, apply for a fellowship now. But there's so many different fellowships, you know, that those are those are some of the, the fellowship programs. So you just have to kind of do a little bit of homework and adjust depending on, I guess, what your needs are and which fellowship programs or mentors you've decided you want to work with. Yeah, so second verse, same as the first. Um, after your fellowship, you need a job, right? So I guess it, it, this is a little more complicated question to ask about when do you start looking for jobs, when do you start trying to find them, because that's going to depend on if you do a fellowship or not. And so, again, from your own experience, from people you've talked to who are going through this process, uh, contemporaneously with you. And, and I guess we should say a general disclaimer that this is advice given with your experience at this period of time. And that in one year, in 10 years, this this pattern of evolution within the field may be completely different. But we're talking about this in a period of time right now. So when you were becoming a senior resident, you had your fellowship lined up, when were you advised or when did you start looking for a job? And to your knowledge in general, if someone's doing a fellowship, do you try to line up a job before you start? Do you wait till during your fellowship and see what's available as you're finishing up? What, what does that process look like? Yeah, so, you know, it, it, it very much varies again. Yeah. And I think it depends on what you're looking at for a job and what kind of things you're trying to, you know, ultimately you're marketing yourself. Yeah. And so if you need your fellowship to market yourself a certain way, let's say if you want to be some guy's endoscopic spine surgeon and you haven't done your endoscopic spine fellowship yet, it could be potentially a little difficult, though, you know, I think a lot of places would also just acknowledge that you would do the endoscopic spine fellowship and be able to be their endoscopic spine, you know, woman or man uh, surgeon. Um, But, you know, the the I think. For me, I'll, I'll just tell you specifically what I did uh, was, you know, I was pretty comfortable with, you know, what I knew I wanted um, with my skill set, with what I could provide for a department. So I was ready to apply pretty early. Mm-hmm. So I started engaging uh, places that I had identified that I thought would be potentially suitable places for me to work uh, starting August of my chief year. Uh, so that's as PGY-7, uh, knowing that I also had a PGY-8 fellowship year to go after that as well. Okay. Very good. Um, Well, Andrew, obviously, each day that goes by, your time becomes more valuable, and we're going to respect that. But uh, I know personally, and I'm sure uh, so many of our listeners really appreciate you coming back to give more advice at each, you know, now sequentially each stage of training. Every time you you ascend to a new level, I'm going to have you back on, and and I'll book you in 20 years for So You Want to Be a Neurosurgeon, the chair edition. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's always great to see you, always great to talk to you. I will not fault you that one of your three pillars of neurosurgery isn't podcasting because because we all have different lives, right, and we all have different paths. But uh, it's always great to see you, and thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, John Fall, it's always a pleasure, and it's been great. You know, I remember that first time I met you uh, in New Jersey, you know, after flying in um, from San Francisco to go to that QOD research meeting, and you just had such a, a vibrancy to you, and it, oh. it was just 
so fun seeing your career develop and now you you know progressing through the years in residency and I'm, I too am very excited for everything that's going to happen with you and I love that you uh, Dr. Wang are doing this podcast it's fantastic thanks disclaimer time the opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself Dr. Wang and our guests they do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.